Hi, I'm Dan Halliday, and I'm a philosopher at Melbourne Uni. And I'm Christian Barry, a philosopher at the Australian National University. Dialogues is a philosophy podcast with a bit of a difference. My case is a bit unusual. We actually get members of the public... I would really like to see Australians giving a fair go... ...to help us do the philosophy. We were on the housing waitlist for nearly four years. I, I wouldn't have anything, so I don't know. Yeah, I'm not really sure how... Oh, that's really hard. ...where you draw the line, where you say, like, that's not OK, but that is. In this episode, we're going to take a step back. What does it actually mean to call things right and wrong? Is morality just a matter of taste? Or are we just expressing our feelings? Or is there something more to it? Yeah, I think we can start by asking, you know, what is the status of moral disagreement? Which, of course, happens quite often. Are disagreements about ethics like disagreements about, I don't know, how many chairs are in the room, which are resolvable? Or are they like disagreements to do with whether something looks nice? What kind of disagreements are we talking about? Hi, I'm Nicole and I'm 28, turning 29. With a lot of moral issues, if they disagree with me morally, it kind of hits at my very core and it's hard to kind of overlook that. So you have to think, well, can I really be friends with them? Hi, I'm Riley. I'm 19 years old. It's a bit more harder to confront someone about morality more than just like, that outfit looks shit. <laughs> Especially the friend that I might confront most with, it's like my best friend, so sometimes it can get a bit more touchy. I was talking to her about the situation of asking someone about their sexuality and whether they're gay or straight or anything. You don't really have to disclose your sexuality to someone. It's a personal kind of thing and you don't have to do it in a job interview. Why should you have to do it? anywhere else because it shouldn't matter and she was kind of like yeah I suppose and it was this sort of back and forth and I spoke to her about it in person and she kind of more understood and then it was more talked about and laid out easier because over messenger it was kind of like she didn't get all the details that I was trying to say and didn't get my tone of voice. So one of the things that came up in both Nicole and Riley's comments were that We certainly don't seem to regard moral disagreement in the way in which we regard other kinds of disagreements. Mm -hmm. Like, it doesn't usually really bother us what kind of ice cream flavors our friends like, or, and maybe even we don't really care that much whether or not they're terrible dressers or whether or not they have good taste in music. But we tend to really find it difficult to find ourselves having really deep moral disagreements with one another. So we seem to at least regard these judgments as different from other kinds of judgments. I think that's that's right. I think this is fascinating. Um, There is this this thing about moral disagreement that seems to set it aside from at least most other frequently encountered disagreements, right? We instinctively, I think, shy away, almost dread moral disagreement. And there's an interesting question as to why this is. Now, I think one possible answer is that we think that someone's moral point of view is um, such a deep part of who they are that if we disagree with them, we're committed to thinking that they're a bad person and and they're going to think that about us. Now, we don't really think that about ice cream or or about much else. I think think that might be why these kinds of disagreements are so, um, as as Nicole and Riley said, the sort of disagreements is very unpleasant to have. Yeah, and actually Riley's last comment seemed to brought up the idea that there's a sense in which when we discover a kind of moral disagreement or what we take to be a, more, a deep moral disagreement, we have this feeling that a person isn't who we thought they were. We find ourselves really at odds with them, and we worry about whether or not we can actually kind of continue in the same kind of relationship that we were in with them previously. Yeah, and but you know, she also said, Riley, that you can still make progress, right? Once you sort of confront the disagreement, if confront's the right word, once you acknowledge the disagreement, you can still be mates. 
right? And you might not end up agreeing, but you can sort of work things out quite peacefully between you know yourselves. Yeah, I think that actually, when it comes to moral disagreement, there there's there's almost a mistake in thinking of it as sort of one kind of thing. Mm. That there are certain kind of moral disagreements where when we discover them, they aren't really that troubling to us, and there are others that are. Mm. So sometimes we disagree about a moral issue just because we disagree about the social science behind some issue, right? So yeah. you favor some policy for helping the homeless, and I'm against it. Now, we might start off, and you might think, wow, this is a big disagreement. But maybe it just comes down to that we have disagreements about what the effects of this policy were. Maybe I would support this policy Mm -hmm. to help the homeless if I thought it would have the desirable effects of actually helping the homeless. I'm against it just because I don't think it's actually going to help the homeless. But other disagreements may be a little bit more deep than that, right? It may be that I think it's simply not the business of government to help the homeless at all whereas you think they are. Now, if we disagree about a homelessness policy on those grounds, then it may seem to be the sort of thing that sits a little bit more easily between us than the first kind of disagreement. Yeah, I think I think that might be right. Um, and I think the de- actually the deepest moral disagreements are the ones that cut across different cultures or different societies, right? And we've got our, we've got our moral disagreements in Australia, but if we compare moral beliefs in Australia with, you know, customs and traditions elsewhere, we, we, we see really deep differences. I think it'd be good to ask people what, what they think about these. Uh, hi, I'm James. I'm 19 years old. For me, it's less of a case of some things are okay and more that I know that I can change some things and I can't change other things. Thinking that you could somehow change the value of a culture just by putting it down and by not respecting it, I think is silly you know the only way to the only way we can change culture is over time hi i'm sophia i'm 17 years old our morals and ethics are so ingrained in us that it's quite hard to understand the way other cultures work in terms of their morals a lot of the time when it's something small like a handshake or a food i think that a lot of people are quite open to learning about different cultures and embracing them and where you draw the line, where you say, like, that's not okay, but that is. Um, When people's people's safety is at risk, and I think that's where I would say, like, that can't really be a cultural tradition because it's not sort of fair on everyone. Yeah, so Sophia raised an interesting question with respect to cultural differences in norms and beliefs, which is between the cases where we say, okay, look, they do things differently, but that's okay, and when I'm with them, I can do things the way they do things. In fact, maybe I am obliged to do it because it would be kind of disrespectful for me not to sort of go along. And those cases where we think, well, you know, people do things differently, but I I just can't bring myself to do that. There'd be something problematic about my doing things that way. The way in which she drew the line was those things which sort of make people unsafe. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. And that's not an implausible uh, place to start. I think we can learn a bit more about cross-cultural or international disagreement uh, particularly about ethics, if we understand a little bit better how how social norms work, right? Now, we might eyeball another culture from you know a distance and be appalled about how people behave, right? Um, you know, particularly if it's if it's if it's violent or hierarchical and so on. But as some philosophers have pointed out, people are responding to social norms in their environment, right? And it, it might be that the kind of behaviour that would be normal over here is is punished socially in other places. And for that reason, we should maybe see these cultural differences not as deep moral disagreements about what's right and what's wrong, but, you know, without wanting to trivialise it, a bit like differences in fashion. Different norms have evolved and different expectations have evolved. 
and people's behavior is consequently different even if as persons they're not all that different yeah this idea of as persons not being all that different seems to me a really important thing if we go back to the earlier discussion that we had there's this idea that moral disagreement can be indicative of sort of deep personal disagreements disagreements on a fundamental level and i think the things that you just mentioned suggest that we may actually be much more similar in terms of overall character and basic moral values with people, even though we behave very differently, right? So we may, in a way, feel much closer to a person in a rather different kind of cultural milieu, expressing attitudes that are different from ours than people within our own culture who are expressing those same attitudes, say, with regard to whether or not it's okay for gay people to marry and that sort of thing. Uh, We still need to face up to, though, I think, the question of which cultures have practices that are morally more defensible than others. Now, James said, look, you you can't really change things quickly in other cultures. Um, I think it's worth remembering, though, that uh, other cultures are often appalled by what we do. I mean, so-called Western cultures, there's a tendency to put old people in in nursing homes. Now, that that is, you know, appalling... Uh, in in some other cultures and we you know we need to remember that um this cuts both ways now what we might say though again is that well we put people in nursing homes partly because society has been set up so it's very difficult not to right in other societies things are set up differently for better or worse and people can make different decisions so if things need to change i don't think it's really people and their attitudes i think i think it is the the macro structure if you will of, of the social norms Yeah, so that example also brings up the idea that there could be significant variations in context such that one practice might actually be really problematic in one context Mm. and not in another, right? So Mm. um, the practice in, say, Australia today, if you just had the practice of saying, look, um, you know, we're not going to look after old people. It has to just be the extended family that does Mm. so. We're not going to sort of invest in facilities for uh, older age people. Um, that could be really disastrous, right? Mm. Because um, they simply aren't the kind of family structures and support mechanisms that would actually ensure that the people who need care and help would actually get the care and help. Whereas there may be other places which have much stronger networks intact, such that sort of leaving it up to families to sort things out with respect to their older members is an okay thing. So I think, again, it's probably important to distinguish between those differences which are indicative of really deep moral disagreements and those differences which are more more indicative of the way uh, a society happens to be organized at the time. Yeah, and, and another obstacle, apart from the one you just mentioned, is that it's costly to violate social norms in a psychological sense, right? We often feel shame if we're caught doing something unconventional. I think it'd be worth asking people what they think about that. Hi, I'm Nicole and I'm 28. I think I feel ashamed when I um, don't live up to the person that I want to be so it it would be things like procrastinating and not um not finishing you know my work on time or lying um to get out of a problem because I consider myself quite an honest person I try to be anyway um and it it would it would just be things that I where I knew it was wrong at the time but I did it anyway Hi, I'm Vanessa and I've just turned 20 years old. So I've recently had my first real boyfriend and my parents are super conservative, or they've always been, and they've always been like, hey, don't get pregnant, you know, but they never talk about sex and that's always been a thing. 
the home is like a strictly non-sexual place. Um, and when I first brought him home for like a family dinner, I guess I was a little bit, I wasn't ashamed. I was just embarrassed that I had come to the stage where I liked boys and like I'm actually being upfront about it. And so that was really scary. Um, like with periods as well, that's, I've always been taught that it's a shameful thing and I should never talk about it out loud, ever. Um, when someone even says it, like, period, in the corner, like, do you have a pad? I'll be like, oh, no, I, what? What's that? You know? <laughs> and I'm still training myself to be a bit better about it because I know it's not wrong. Yeah, so these were really interesting statements. So shame is often thought of as sort of a paradigmatically moral emotion. Mm-hmm. What could be more powerful in thinking about the way in which you sort of failed to live up to your values than the sort of feeling of shame. At the same time, one of the interesting things is that sometimes we actually feel shame without actually feeling that we've done anything wrong, or we can often feel that our feelings of shame are actually misplaced. So the idea that, you know, we may have had inculcated in us the idea that certain things are dirty or impure. we no longer actually believe those things, mm-hmm. but they have kind of a residual effect on us that we have this sort of emotional experience. And it's interesting that we can often distinguish between those feelings of shame, which seem sort of tied up with our actual values, the things that we actually affirm, and those which aren't. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's dead right. I think uh, one thing I learned from uh, Vanessa's story is that shame is often a consequence of you being you know, brought up as a child uh, in ways where certain behaviour is, is discouraged or encouraged. So hearing what people say about shame and the conditions under which they do or don't feel it, I, I think should remind us of the, the general point we made earlier on, that the way people feel about ethics is in, in large part shaped by the prevailing social norms and you know those they've grown up under and, and those that have shaped the way they think, you know, rather than by any deeply held, you know, unchangeable view. Dialogues is an Ethics Matters podcast. It was produced by Snodger Media and funded by a University of Melbourne Engagement Grant and the School of Philosophy at the ANU.